the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finley. We've got a really good show for you. In this half hour of the show, we're going to be rebroadcasting an interview from earlier this year with Nathan Lewin about the demonstrations that are going on and have been going on for the last 19 years in front of a synagogue in Ann Arbor. The second half of the show will be featuring the portion of Ahrimos, which is in Leviticus chapter 16 and following. It's the week after Passover, so we're going to be connecting it a little bit to the holiday of Passover. It doesn't always happen that this portion is after, but it is this week, so we'll talk about that. We've got a cappella music for the next six weeks. As we are in the time of Sefirat HaOmer, the counting of the Omer, which is observed as a quasi-period of mourning among Jews in commemoration of the death of 33,000 of Rebbe excuse me, 24,000 of Rebbe I'll make it worse than it is, 24,000 of Rebbe Akiva's students who died during the 33 days of the counting of the Omer. Uh, we have a great Hasidic story at the, all the way at the end. Before we do anything else, Let's go right to the news. Palestinian Islamist Jihad took credit for a rocket fired from Gaza into southern Israel. The Iron Dome intercepted the missile with no damage or casualties. Israel destroyed a Hamas weapons site in retaliation. 18 Arabs were arrested for throwing rocks and fireworks at police in Jerusalem. Arab rioters threw stones and shattered the windows and the windshield and windows of many Egged buses that were on their way to the old city. Seven people were slightly injured. Police arrested two suspects. A Jewish man was severely beaten in Jerusalem. The man was taken to hospital and released. The attacker is still at large. 
Jordan closed its border with Israel without warning or reason. Over 200 Israeli tourists were stranded in Jordan for more than 12 hours. In anti-Semitic acts, flyers blaming Russia's war in Ukraine on Jews were left in front of homes in Beverly Hills, California. Anti-Semitic flyers were also left at homes in Pittsburgh and Boca Raton, Florida. A Florida man was charged with one count of criminal mischief on a place of worship and is being held held on a $5,000 bond for defacing the Miami Holocaust Memorial with his own blood. That's gross. A Jewish man from Oak Park was hospitalized after being attacked in Southfield by a Muslim man who shouted anti-Semitic curses at him. The man is now home. Police are looking for the attacker. We will now hear the Prime Minister of England, Mr. Boris Johnson's greeting for the Passover holiday. To everyone here in the UK and around the world celebrating Passover this week. For the first time in far too long, this year, the Seder tables will once again be thronged with family and friends. Every seat occupied by an actual loved one, rather than the unblinking eye of a phone camera or a laptop. And for a festival in which a sense of community and togetherness are so important, I know that will make things feel particularly special. Of course, not all our Jewish brothers and sisters will be quite so fortunate. Across Ukraine, untold thousands will mark Passover huddled around candles in freezing basement bomb shelters. Many more, forced into their own unwanted exodus, will find themselves far from home in an unfamiliar foreign land, in scenes horrifyingly familiar for generations of Jews, stretching back to the time of Pharaoh and beyond. But if nothing else, the story of Passover is about a journey to freedom, about faith in the midst of hardship, and a reminder that there will always be better times ahead for those who hold God as closely and tightly as he holds us. So, wherever you're making matzah and whoever you're breaking it with, I hope this Passover brings not just a reason to celebrate today, but also a renewed hope for tomorrow. Why go to a hospital get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the -the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. 
listening to the Jewish Hour. We have online Mr. Nathan Lewin, a distinguished privilege for us. This is not the first time we've had Mr. Lewin on. Mr. Lewin is a noted uh, lawyer in Washington who does First Amendment litigation primarily. We had him on way back when talking about the menorah and the library for the Lubavitcher, uh, Lubavitcher Library in, in, in Brooklyn. And now we're going to have Mr. Lewin on because of a case that's going on locally here in Ann Arbor for the last, since we've been reporting on the show for many years, the last 19 years it's going on now. The demonstration's going on in front of Beth Israel Congregation in Ann Arbor every Saturday morning. And my grandmother, my bubby, used to say, don't make a federal case out of things when, when you know, when people would start complaining, but we're making a federal case out of it. It's going to the Supreme Court. How are you today, Mr. Lewin? Very well, thank you. How are you? I gather it's snowing out there. It's um, pretty sunny here in Washington, D.C. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> that makes me feel better. <laughs> anyway, okay, so uh, for those people who have not been listening to the Jewish Hour for the last 19 years when this whole story started, what's, what's, what is this that's going on in Ann Arbor? Well, there's been... For the last 19 years, uh, every Saturday morning, every Shabbat morning, when uh, people are coming to the synagogue to uh, Shabbat services at precisely that time, and not at other times, but specifically when they're gathering to daven, to pray on Shabbat morning, uh, a group of uh, opponents who whose motives seem to be tied to anti-Semitism from various kind of uh, indications in uh, that have been reported in the media. I didn't even realize the the extent to which uh, they were tied to other anti-Semitic activity. But anyway, this group has been gathering around the synagogue on Shabbat mornings, on Saturday mornings, precisely at the time when people are coming and are praying in the synagogue with signs that are not only anti-Israel, but explicitly uh, anti-Semitic. I mean, the signs say things like Jewish power corrupts, resist Jewish power, stop funding Israel, uh, no more Holocaust movies uh, and a lot of anti-Israel signs. They don't uh, block the entrance, physically block the entrance to the synagogue, to the shul, but they're certainly there to intimidate and harass the people who are coming to engage in activity, which is the first, the first right protected under the Bill of Rights in the U.S. Constitution, which is the right to the free exercise of religion. So it is demonstrably aimed at religion and religious exercise. Okay. Now, so this is, this is going on every week for 19 years. That's, I mean, not to say, I'm just going to be like devil's advocate over here. 
it gets cold in the winter time at nine o'clock in the morning when summer when when the synagogue starts and like there's in arbor it snows more than in detroit and so these guys are standing out in the snow and and if it's gone on for 19 years and i'd be say like the rabbi over there i'd kind of like go over and say hey listen you want some like hot chocolate or something can we do something for you guys i mean it's just like you're here every week and we got to, we we know you already it's just like has there been any like dialogue between them like what do these people want well, there have been, at least, again, I uh, am not on the premises and don't know all the details of the case. Those would be presented in a trial if and when a trial were held. Uh, I'm told that uh, some of the congregants have talked to the demonstrators, and the response has been uh, virulently anti-Semitic. Uh, for example... Uh, if they tell the demonstrators anything about the Holocaust, the response is, well, the Israelis killed Palestinians. Um, I mean, there's no comparison between the self-defense that Israel has to do with regard to Hamas or those who are raining uh, uh, rockets on Israeli civilians to what Nazi Germany did to the Jews in the Shoah, and yet that's the response that they've gotten when they've orally spoken to them. Um, so these people are plainly hostile to Jews, and they're trying to intimidate and harass Jews when Jews are going into the synagogue. The really, uh, to me at least, the most surprising aspect of the case when I first learned of it was that the members of the synagogue had tolerated this for 18 years. I was told that there were constitutional law professors who were members of the synagogue who said, well, this is just free speech. You've got to allow it. And at least so far as I'm concerned, people can speak. They have a right to be haters. They have a right to attack Jews if they like. This is a free country. They can do that with speech. They can write things about Jews if they like, but that does not mean that they can surround a synagogue with what they're saying when they're not trying to persuade anybody with what they're doing. They're just trying to harass and intimidate the free exercise of religion. So I have agreed pro bono to uh, take this case to the Supreme Court because what happened was... The district judge who heard the case said, well, these plaintiffs, the people who brought the case finally, have no standing. All that they've done is their feelings have been hurt. That's all. So they can't bring a lawsuit. Well, that was clearly wrong. And that was appealed to the Court of Appeals. <clears throat> and the Court of Appeals said to the district judge, basically, that's wrong. Of course they have a right to bring a lawsuit. And then, surprisingly, the three judges of the Court of Appeals, rather than doing what courts have done all over the country when there's been an initial ruling of this kind, which has been reversed, which is to send the case back to the district judge, instead the Court of Appeals went on to say, oh, well, this is just part of the Israeli-Palestinian dispute, and it's protected as free speech. <clears throat> well, to, 
to me, it's clear that it's not free speech at all. It's simply harassment and intimidation and denial of the freedom of religion. That's what's important okay, in this case. Let me jump in. Our guest today is Nathan Lewin. We're talking about the court case involving the demonstrators outside the Beth Israel Congregation in Ann Arbor, who've been doing it for about 19 years. So you, you've answered my, one of my questions I was going to ask, as the synagogue itself did not bring the lawsuit. It was rather two members, and primarily one member, of the, the congregation that said, okay, I've had enough of it. And I, you also answered this because there were members of the congregation who were, as you say, knew the, know the Constitution and say it's guaranteed what they're doing, doing is, is protected by the Constitution as freedom of free speech. So what then was the rationale of this person who, these two people who were, they're not lawyers, they're going against other people in the congregation, what was, what was their case that they're trying to get into the U.S. District Court, Nathan Lewin? Well, I mean, their claim, as it was presented, it was never really fully presented to the District Court because, as I've explained, the District Court said, well, you have no basis for going ahead. It's just your feelings are hurt. Nobody has stopped you from going into the synagogue. That was wrong, but the district judge never considered the substance of the claim, which is that this activity was really harassment and intimidation of prayer. Now, that that was not emphasized that much in the few papers that were filed uh, in the district court or in the court of appeals but i think when i read about it i wrote an article about it in which i said this is a clear and present danger to jews in america because this is how hostility and violence against jews has historically begun i'm a i'm a victim of of the show of the holocaust three of my grandparents were killed in the in the Shoah. I do not make analogies to the Holocaust. I just do not. I think that generally they're totally inapt. But historically, one has to consider what happened in Germany. And with the rise of Hitler, the very first kinds of steps that were taken there, as in history in, against Jews, historically, was ganging up at the entrance of the synagogues because they knew the Jews were coming there. And even before there was violence, there was anti-Semitic hostility expressed in terms of intimidating and harassing Jews coming to worship. And to me, at least, the Court of Appeals was so clearly wrong. A very, very smart judge on the Court of Appeals, who's really a legal expert, just totally overlooked that. And he said, all oh, this is speech, because it's part of the Israeli-Palestinian debate. That was clearly wrong. And I think it was a sign of the dangers to Jews in the United States. And this was before the Colleyville, Texas incident. Uh, 
or which demonstrated, of course, what how Jews are endangered in the United States. But to allow people to gang up at a synagogue on Saturday mornings when people are coming to pray in shul and to have signs that talk about Jewish power and that Israel is an apartheid state and these kinds of attacks, that's not what free speech is about in the United States. Okay. Under, understood. Okay, so now, you uh, immediately following the Colleyville incident, the uh, city council of Ann Arbor came out with a resolution condemning, finally. They're, they had all kinds of, uh, of uh, means by which they tried to approach the city council to get them to stop doing it over the years, and the city council never really addressed it and didn't want to do it. Ann Arbor is known as a super liberal place where you know super liberal ideas are – the word radical would be already moderate. Um, but suddenly after Colleyville, they said, nope, we're con- – Damning it. Shouldn't that have put an end to it, Mr. Lewin? The city council says we don't want you doing this anymore. Well, (laughs) the city council's reversal does not uh, justify or uh, really remove the fact that they were complicit in it for all these years. The city of Ann Arbor was, I mean, my client who who brought the lawsuit, complained, uh, his attorney complained to the city of Ann Arbor, and they refused to do anything about it. They took the position, as I say, of these constitutional law professors, well, this is free speech. It's not free speech. It's intimidation of religion. It's danger to Jews as Jews, not simply a free speech statement that you can make in a public place. So the city of Ann Arbor is a defendant in this lawsuit, and they are going to have to explain when the case gets to trial all the things that they did over all those years when they refused to become involved and they protected the demonstrators. They're liable. The city of Ann Arbor is, so far as I can tell, again, I'm I'm not a master of the facts of this case. I have looked at the law, and I'm dealing with it on the broad legal principles. But whatever lawyer represents my client when the case hopefully goes back for trial in the federal court, if the Supreme Court takes it and reverses the decision of the Court of Appeals, will be able to prove that the city of Ann Arbor was involved and participated in these violations over all these years. Now they have belatedly, because they see what the fruit is of this kind of activity, they belatedly said they condemn anti-Semitism. That does not uh, wipe, make them innocent and wipe clean what they've done wrong. Okay, so again, our guest today is Nathan Lewin. We're talking about a case which will hopefully be heard by the Supreme Court sometime next year, early next year, with uh, the congregation Beth Israel of Ann Arbor versus the the people who have demonstrated for the last 19 years. 
Okay, so when approaching the Supreme Court, so the easiest thing to do is show legal precedent. Are there other cases over the last 200 and something years of a freedom of speech versus a freedom of religion case, Mr. Lewin? No, not. The fact is that there's no clear precedent in terms of people claiming uh, free speech rights. There are uh, limitations on free speech. After all, fighting words can't be protected by free speech. Some people have said to me, oh, these are fighting words. I don't know. I don't think I have to uh, meet the very high standard for fighting words because these are attacks made on religion, which is different than fighting words. There are limitations to free speech, and I think that one of the limitations that the Supreme Court should impose, and this is why this case is important, is that you can't get around, surround a place of worship and do this. I mean, if this is permissible, can you imagine what would what an uproar would be in this country if mosques were suddenly surrounded by people who really had opposition to Islam and violent Islam, and they had signs with them talking about the tax on Sharia law and what the Taliban is doing, and just stood around the mosques when the people came to pray in the mosques. This is an opening for that kind of attack, or on Catholic churches, for that matter. It's different. It's not speech. It's harassment, intimidation, and an attempt to prevent worship, which, as I say, is the first right specified in the Bill of Rights. Okay, so why then um, the framers of the Constitution and whatever their wisdom was, decided to put freedom of speech and freedom of religion and the right of assembly all in the same paragraph. Um, as <laughs> If it would be Torah, Lahavdil. So we could say, well, the first one in the Pusik, the first one in the verse, is takes more precedent than the second one. That's why the first one is first and the second one is second. Can we say the same thing about the Constitution? Is in other words, my how? What's the logic then in presenting to the Supreme Court that they should be downplaying freedom of speech and upplaying freedom of religion? When you could say, well, maybe freedom of religion, take, freedom of speech is is more important than freedom of religion, Mister Lewin. Well, in this case, it's very easy, really. The request that was made repeatedly and that Ann Arbor rejected was just to remove these people and put them further away from the synagogue. If they're 500 or 1,000 feet away from the synagogue, they don't intimidate as much. They can express their freedom of speech. There are ways that you can reconcile. Nobody is saying to them, you can't put up your signs someplace. You can put them up someplace, but not as close as you were to those who were going on, on on Shabbat morning to worship. Go ahead. Stand a thousand feet away with your signs, if you like. That's far less intimidating and maybe not intimidating at all. The Jews who went to the synagogue 
know that there are opponents in this country. There are haters. There are anti-Semites. They express themselves under the First Amendment in various ways and in various means. And we may think that they are dangerous, but in the United States, because of the First Amendment, they're entitled to say what they feel. Uh, and in this case, that would be the answer. Okay. Although I have a right not to be intimidated, you have a right to speak, so you can speak from a thousand feet away. Okay, that's the understood. The Ann Arbor police refuse to remove the demonstrators and tell them to go back. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's understood. Now, you mentioned before that what you'd be looking at is for the Supreme Court to say that the Court of Appeals was wrong and that the case could go to trial. Wouldn't it, if you're going to go, if you're going to, if you're going to go already to the Supreme Court already, shouldn't you have them decide that, yes, freedom of religion precedent, takes precedent over freedom of speech and therefore not have to go back to the district court? No, you can't. <laughs> In, in the in the United States, you can file a complaint, and then you have to prove your case. You have to establish the facts that make out your case. Uh, all that we're saying is uh, you, you don't come to the Supreme Court when there's no record in the case yet. I mean, all that had happened in the case was that my client filed his complaint. And then the other side supported, I must say, very surprisingly, by the ACLU and by briefs filed by Jewish lawyers came in and opposed it and said the case should be dismissed. We're just asking to see, we're just asking to have an opportunity to present the facts to the district court. There are no, you know, there's no record in this case yet of any facts. We can't tell the Supreme Court, you have to decide in favor of the plaintiffs. The procedure in the United States is you file your complaint, the other side answers, there may then be discovery, then there may be a trial. And that's that's how facts are established for the purpose of a decision by a district judge. Okay, so now if you're, so I'm, I'm ignorant of how these things work. And you'll probably you'll enlighten us. So, if all you want is for the case to go back to the to the district court, which is in Detroit, one judge, couldn't the, the Supreme Court just like say, couldn't we get like one judge to say, okay, I think in my opinion we should go back, and then he can sign like a thing putting a stay on the Court of Appeals? It has to be like the Supreme Court has to look at it in October and decide if they're going to go through it and make a whole big thing. And it's like you know we're going to get all the everybody's going to present legal arguments, and then we're going to make a whole big thing like the world is coming to an end is what it sounds like. And what all you really want is just to be a, have the ability to talk. Isn't there a shortcut? Unfortunately not, because what the Court of Appeals judge, the three judges led an opinion by the chief judge of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, in in its opinion, just went out on their own and they said, we're dismissing this case on the basis of the judgment that that court issued. The case is over, finished. There's nothing more you can do with regard to it. So therefore, you have to go to the Supreme Court to say, well, listen, give us a chance to present our case. And what's even more outrageous, and I think this has been reported by the media, 
is that now, while we're trying to go to the Supreme Court, the district judge, who, I must say, the trial lawyer, I don't know the facts, but the district judge, apparently, in this case, the trial lawyer felt that the district judge was biased and moved to dismiss the case, dismiss her, that judge, from the case. I don't know whether the judge was biased or not, but the interesting thing is that even while the case is on its way to the Supreme Court, the district judge entered an order saying that the plaintiffs in the case, my client and a co-plaintiff, will have to pay the lawyer's fees of the defendants, $150,000 in lawyer's fees for having brought the case. Now, the cases, that is an order that is so rarely issued that a plaintiff is, is told, you have to pay the defendant's lawyer's fees. And yet the judge has done this while the case is on its way to possible decision by the Supreme Court. You have to wonder about what's going on. Okay. So at this point, Mr. Lynn, we've got to wrap this up. We're gonna, unfortunately, we can talk more about it, but we're, gonna, we're coming to the end of this segment. So basically right now, you've, you've filed all the paperwork, and now you're just in a holding pattern? And you just it's a waiting game at this point? Is there no, anything that I can be done? No, I have gotten an extension of time in which to file the, what's called a petition for certiorari, which is a petition to the Supreme Court to hear the case. I will be filing that petition shortly. I'm working on it now. As a matter of fact, right now, as you called, I have on my computer a draft of the petition that I'm working on, and it will be filed sometime before the 1st of April because the Supreme Court Justice has granted me an extension of time. I'm first coming into the, I first came into the case after the Court of Appeals decision. So I'm working on that petition. It will be filed, and then I suppose the other side will file a brief in opposition, and the court will decide sometime in May or June whether they will hear the case. Okay. Now, so when I first spoke to you today, you mentioned that it's your policy that you do not talk about cases that are ongoing because you didn't want them to be, quote unquote, uh, decided in the media. But you felt that coming on the show today was important. What's so important about this case that you decided to actually come and talk about it while it's an ongoing case, Mr. Lewin? Because it's not. I've handled other Jewish interest cases, but this is a case which, as I said in our article that I wrote before I was involved in the case, when I read the opinion, I think this case, this decision, is a clear and present danger. That's the standard under the free speech clause for stopping free speech. If free speech, if the speech is a clear and present danger, then it can be prevented. I think this decision is a clear and present danger to Jews in the United States. And I would like to make them aware of it. And hopefully there will be Jewish organizations and other maybe non-Jewish organizations that will support my request when I file it that the Supreme Court reverse the decision of the Court of Appeals and allow the case to proceed. 
That's productive. Okay, that's wonderful. Okay, I feel uh, duly informed, and thank you so much. Our guest today is Mr. Nathan Lewin. He is a lawyer from Washington, D.C. He is going to be petitioning the Supreme Court in the Congregation Beth Israel. It's not exactly congregation. It's uh, the plaintiffs uh, versus the people who are demonstrating for the last 19 years outside the synagogue. We want to thank you so much, and we hope. Yeah, let maybe- me let me just correct it. It's not the congregation; it's the individual member who's doing right. the congregation is not a party. Although the rabbi, I think, from what I've read of interviews of him, by him, is supportive now of the position that this should be stopped. But yeah, the congregation is not a party in the case. Understood. Okay. We want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your your insights and information. And we wish you wish you very much success in this case, Mr. Nathan Lewin. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. We're going to take a are we going to take a quick commercial? We're going to, yeah, let's take a quick commercial break. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The lower peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's a symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Hour. I hope that was, uh, I was very amazed by that interview myself. We've got some Jewish music for you. It's the week after Passover, so we're still trying. This is when all the uh, acapella groups put out their stuff. It's like twice a year on Passover and before Rosh Hashanah. So since we're playing acapella music now, and it's close enough to play, so we'll, we'll take a selection of those things that are come. Some, a couple of them are relevant to Passover. This one up next is 613 Acapella. The, is the name of the group, and they're playing or singing a Billy Joel Passover. It's nine o'clock on a Saturday. The annual crowds shuffled in. There's a Zadie sitting next to me. For all of his kin But He says, sons, do you have any inquiries? Like why we trade bread for matzot? And this far we eat dipping bitter and sweet And why we don't keep the door closed?
and strangers in a strange land. Celebration Jewish liberation. Reading from the Haggadah, Adir Hu and Haggadah. Ten plagues, four sons, who knows what? I know what. Gate house clean, father bought for two Zuzim. Death and leaders and Kedem next year in Jerusalem. Dainu, Harosen, we sold all of our Hamid. Tell me what is all this for? I can't take much more, my role. God said a bush on fire. of quality and excellence in kosher look for the michigan k on the label what's it look like the lower peninsula of michigan with a k it's the symbol of the michigan kosher supervisors go to their website mycosup.com that's mi for michigan ko for kosher and sup for supervisors mycosup.com and find this month's featured products you'll find michigan k products wherever fine food is sold especially at natural food patch on west nine mile road in ferndale you're listening to the Jewish Hour. We're listening to some music right now. Up next is Nachi Krohn, and this is called Benai, My Children. Und 
epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. And here you're listening to the Jewish Hour. The portion of the week is the portion of Achrei Mos. Can be found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16. And following the first part, maybe close to the first half, describes how the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, would go into the Holy of Holies on the holiday of Yom Kippur, the the, uh, Day of Atonement, and atone for the entire Jewish people. The question that we're going to ask and just answer very briefly is, so we just, we're coming out of Passover. Why, what do we learn from Passover, Yom Kippur, what, what's, what's going on? Why the connection? How's the connection? Because they are read in proximity, must be a connection. What do we learn about the holiday of Passover? We talked about the idea of going out of Egypt, that the word Mitzrayim means to limitations, and the idea of going out of one's personal exile means to go out of one's personal limitations, to like we said before, today's I can't is tomorrow's I did that. And eventually what we're trying to achieve, especially mentioned during the Haggadah, is the idea of achieving a oneness with God, that when a person totally comes out of their limitations, they become incorporated one with the oneness of God. Then they become limitless, which sounds really cool, except for it's not really very practical. That's where the portion of Achrimos comes in, because what was the Kohen Gadol trying to do? 
the Kohen Gadol was trying to go into the Holy of Holies and offer up a incense on behalf of the Jewish people and achieve atonement for the entire Jewish people. And more important than going into the Holy of Holies, he was trying to walk out. Because of the portion, the name of the portion indicates it's Achrimos Shnebene Aaron. It's after the death of Aaron's two sons. They went into the Holy of Holies, experienced the ultimate of God, became totally and completely incorporated in the oneness of God, and their souls flew out of their body. And that's not why we're here. We're not here in this world so that our souls fly out of our bodies. So here it is. A person has been working on themselves for the days of Passover, eating matzah, exercising them, their their ability to be humble as the bread of matzah is, is flat, it's not blown up like bread is, and achieving this monarchum, at least, of going beyond their limitations and feeling this sense of oneness with God. But it's not enough. You got to bring it down. That's what the that's what's indicated in the portion of Achrimos, that in addition to the high priest walking into the holy of holies, there was a set prescribed way to make sure that he walked out of the holy of holies. But if, well, he wasn't the same person when he walked out. He was on a higher level. He had achieved the divine and brought it back down into the mundane. That's what we're doing now. We're during the days of Sphira, we're counting till the holiday of Shavuos, the, fe the feast of the Pentecost, which is, I didn't look up the, the, the date yet, it's sometimes the end of May, beginning of June, I'm not sure, it's the end of, beginning of June, I think it is. And during that time, we exercise improving our persona, every day a different character trait. The first day is kindness of kindness. The second day is our severity of kindness until we get all the way down to our completion of completion of completed beings, beings so that we left Egypt, but now we're getting the Torah and we can bring it back down and do something with it, which is a very important thing. It's because the Torah is not, and Judaism is not just an ethereal, out there, theoretical experience. No. It's all about bringing it down, doing something practical, doing something good, helping another person. Speaking of which, we've got to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Why go to a hospital get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital, the same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Hi, this is Spex Howard. The Spex Howard School of Media Arts is proud to have been a sponsor of the Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding comes from its sponsors, listeners like you help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. 
please send your tax-deductible donation to the Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. That's 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Your help is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? You're at my website. If you're listening to the show, you're right there. It's right on the homepage. Just wait till the end of the broadcast. If you're listening on iTunes, iHeartRadio, uh, all the rest of I don't remember the other names of these things, uh, <laughs> all these other pop places where you get your podcasts, you want to go to RabbiFinman.com, and there you can contact me right on the homepage. We also have archived editions of the radio show. We have archived editions of other ways. We have the very important donations page, which I'm not going to talk about because, believe it or not, we paid for April already. And uh, so I said any time we, we uh, paid for a month, I'm not going to make a request. But if you want to make a request, if you want to make a pledge, if you want to get in touch with me, you know, so you can do that at RabbiFinman.com. But you go to the donations page and you'll make the donation there or send it in an envelope to 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Herndale, Michigan, 48220. This story happened in 1991, early 1991. There was a gentleman whose name I do not know who was a businessman from Manchester who had business dealings in Bangladesh, of all places. He's a Jewish man, Bangladesh. And he had been to Bangladesh several times, but at that time there was civil unrest, there were major typhoons, there were 138,000 people got killed by typhoons that year. So he didn't want to go to Bangladesh so quick, even though it was uh, very lucrative. I believe it was a furniture business. It was a very lucrative thing for him to go there. And he didn't know what to do. So he wrote to Lubavitcher Rebbe. Lubavitcher Rebbe didn't answer him. So he's about to get on a plane. And he called uh, his rabbi back in uh, Manchester, who had a son in New York. The son went to the Rebbe, and it was Sunday, went for dollars. And told the Rebbe that this man is waiting in the airport for the Rebbe's bracha. So the Rebbe said, it's dangerous there, no? And he said, "Things have, we're told that things have calmed down. So the Rebbe said, if that's the case, here's a dollar for him. And then the Rebbe called him back and said, and here's a dollar for the shliach, the Chabad emissary in Bangladesh. There's a man who's involved in Chabad activities there. Okay, very unusual. So he, <laughs> what did this person do? Is he took the, the dollar bills, the two dollar bills, he's put in an envelope, and overnighted them to the the uh, hotel where this man was staying in the city of Chittagong, Bangladesh, with the note that he had to go find the Chabad Shliach, somebody involved with Lubavitch activities in this, that city. So he's like, "What?" Okay, so he went out. He started walking around. Didn't meet nobody, nothing, nothing. Came back to his hotel, and he got off the elevator, and his eyes caught somebody, and he asked the guy, are you Jewish? And the guy said, yeah, and they got to talking. So they went back to his room, and they were talking with it. And he says, I have a dollar for somebody involved with Lubavitch activities here in Chitangong and in, in Bangladesh. So the man said, I've been living here for about eight years. We're from North Carolina. And every twice a year for Passover and for for Rosh Hashanah, we go back to North Carolina so we can be for, with family and with uh, the Jewish community because there's no Jewish community in Bangladesh. 
But there are people who live here. And so I made up with the rabbi there, who is Rabbi Groner. This is a Groner and his wife, Mariashi, who's original from Detroit. And uh, they sent up this whole program where we, uh, this is before online schools and this type of stuff, where they'd send me material and then we would distribute them to the Jewish families. And then this is involved in, in educating their kids. So he says, that he said, it's very interesting. He said, I work primarily in the city of Dhaka, which is the capital of Bangladesh. Now, for all you people involved with Trivial Pursuit, you now know that D-H-A-K-A, Dhaka, is the capital of Bangladesh. He said, I have never been to Chittagong ever in my life. But I suddenly got this idea. I wanted to come to Chittagong and see the tourist sites. I'm here for exactly one day. I'm leaving first thing tomorrow morning. There really was very little chance for you finding me. But here we see that the Lubavitcher Rebbe was concerned about the spiritual needs of one Jew who had actually written to the Rebbe like three years prior saying that he was involved with these activities in the, in the uh, cities in Bangladesh. And the Rebbe thought that would be a good idea just to remember him. That's going to do it for the show. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope we had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 